I read an interesting article a while back entitled, Things We Never Used to Say to Each Other Until We Got Cell Phones. And if you think about it, um, if you think about it, some of the everyday phrases we use today were never used before. For example, where are you? Think about it for a second. Before you were talking to somebody on the cell phone, looking around at some stadium saying, where are you? Did you ever say that to somebody standing right next to you? No, you didn't. Did you ever say that to somebody who you could talk to without a phone? No, you didn't. We never used to ask that question, did we? God's been asking it for a long time, but God had it kind of in a rhetorical sense. People seek to hide from God. They've always sought to hide from God. And these people, these hiders from God, they're very unique. They're very unique people. In that, those who feel the need to hide generally know that something is wrong. Those who seek to hide from God generally know something about God Almighty. More than that, they, say, they tend to know a little bit about their own condition and the fallacy of it. They understand a reason to hide their iniquity. They're not generally ignorant of their compromised state. And there's a vast difference in those who are lost in ignorance and those who actively seek to hide from God. Our thesis text found in Genesis, the third chapter, and verse 6, the Bible says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave, to her, uh, gave her husband with her, and he ate. Then the, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Their understanding of sin changed when their eyes were open, the Bible says they were no longer ignorant. They were accountable, in other words. And more importantly than that, they were ashamed. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called to Adam and He said, Where are you? I imagine that's somewhat of a concerning question when you're in a compromised state. Verse 10, he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. You remember yesterday, whenever I talked about how my boy usually becomes my boy when he's annoying or whenever he's a problem. As you read this dialogue between God and Adam, you'll find Adam's phrase, uh, his phrasing changing a little bit. Whenever he tells God, he says, And then this woman that you gave me, your fault. Or perhaps it was something to that effect. Anyway, he was aware of the problem. He was aware of his condition. And he wasn't the only one to do so either. In a, in a generation just a little bit later on in Genesis, the fourth chapter, we have this interaction of the two brothers, Cain and Abel. One sacrifice was, ex was acceptable. The other one was not. And the Bible says that Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Jump ahead just a little bit more in Jonah, the first chapter, in verse 3. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid his fare and he went down into it to go with him to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. All of these people seem to have something in common, don't they? First of all, they know there's a problem in their lives. And secondly, they think it can be solved by hiding from God. 
Am I my brother's keeper? Do you think think that God, whenever He asks Adam, where are you? Or whenever He asks Cain, where's your brother? Do you think God is ignorantly wandering around the world thinking, where's Cain? Where's Abel? I can't find Abel. Or wandering around the garden wondering, where in the world? Where are they hiding? Boy, they're good. You think God's ignorant? Is God ignorant of our sins? Is God ignorant of our state? I believe these questions served a very specific purpose. And what state do you have to be in when the sound of God approaching scares you into hiding? When we feel the need to lie to Him about our lives or seek the shelter of solitude in a place where God cannot find us? At what point in your life are you when this is the logical next step in your decision-making process? Imagine the life where your soul is so precarious, so lacking in security, that you feel you have to hide from God. That any time there's a tornado, or every time there's a hailstorm, or every time there's a thunderstorm, you got to look out your window thinking, boy, that sounds like Christ could be returning. I sure hope it ain't. You think I'm joking. There are people who live like that, who are afraid that the next day Jesus is going to come back because they're still waiting for that someday. They're hiding until that someday opportunity to change things. Did God know where Adam and Eve hid, what Cain had done, or where Jonah sought to avoid his responsibility? These questions regarding their location or their deeds were not out of God's ignorance. Rather, they brought forth to communicate that God was indeed aware of their attempt to hide themselves and forced these people to confront them and therefore made themselves aware of their own transgression just as He is aware of ours. The question becomes, where are you? And what are you attempting to hide from God? I don't think we're nearly as good hiders as we think we are. We're not nearly as good at it as we think we are. And it's not as innocent as it once was when we were kids and we were giggling under the staircase. It's not that funny anymore. When you're afraid that God will find you in your current circumstance, nobody's laughing. Are you comfortable with your sin? On the other hand, hopefully your conscience still violates it a little bit and you understand why you're hiding. But some people have become comfortable in their sin. There are those for whom hiding from God has become so commonplace that it has become trivial, just a part of life. They're no longer worried about the consequences of living separately from God or they have convinced themselves that it's simply no big deal. Have you watched television lately? I haven't. I'll tell you why. Because we live with a TV, but we don't tend to watch anything that's not put in the old-fashioned DVD player. We upgraded to Blu-ray. That, or maybe a streaming service, you know. We see TV sometimes when we go to the in-laws. You can't help but see it then because it's as big as that wall. And there's some trends, brethren, that weren't there before. There's some trends on it. Even in the Disney Shorts section of the Disney Plus app, you'll start to watch one, and there are two husbands sitting there together talking about how they're going to raise their son. I don't remember which one that was. Ryan didn't leave it on long enough for us to figure it out. Even on commercials and supposed family shows where the dad is a buffoon, but it's okay because it's funny. We're normalizing this culture where when your kids see it, and hopefully they see it from a really early age, they'll grow up thinking that this 
is no big deal. Just because the Bible talks contrary to it, you need to move past that ideology of the old days and you need to get used to the here and now because we live in the here and now and if it's on TV, well then it's normal. Our culture is normalizing these things. Our culture is desensitizing us to that which violates the Word of God. And it's working. It's working. This is what Satan would have us believe, that sin is not a big deal and that God is slack concerning His promises. Now, we've been dancing around Hebrews 6 all weekend. Let's get into it a little bit closer and read Hebrews 6, verse 4 through 6. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good Word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again under repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. Christ was crucified once. The plan of redemption was made available once. One sacrifice, one crucifixion, one God, one Savior, one plan of redemption. Now, as we read that, does that mean that once you sin, it's too late for you? That's not what we're talking about. So, don't get that concerned. What we're talking about here, though, as we've alluded to throughout the weekend, is that person whose mind is such to the point where nothing I say is going to change anything. Nothing you say is going to change anything. Nothing that they don't want to affect them is going to affect them. And they've reached a point in their lives where the only way repentance is going to work for them is if they decide... If they personally decide. And that might sound strange because it's a decision for all of us, isn't it? But most of our decisions were factored in by the influence of the gospel or our parents or our friends or the congregation itself, whatever the case is. But these people are beyond reach. Imagine that state where you have to rely, where you depend on yourself for repentance, yourself who is beyond reach of the rest of the outside world and the gospel of Christ. Some who have known God choose not to follow Him and they become comfortable in their situation. It's kind of like a glorified version of Sunday afternoon lunch. I call it dinner for clarity's sake. Let's call it lunch just this once. Where perhaps on that morning a person is convicted Perhaps that morning that person's conscience is played with a little bit and they start to realize that maybe a change is necessary. But you know what? There's a cool little trick to that that Satan has. And that is, if you just, just don't act on that right now, go to lunch first and, th and think about it for a while. And the longer time goes by between that conviction and acting on that conviction, the less potent our concern for our soul becomes. Sunday afternoon lunch, boy, is the biggest enemy to an individual who's just on the brink of obeying the gospel or correcting their lives, isn't it? Because it gives us something to distract our minds. And we have different versions of this. That's why, oh, I hate the word binging. I hate that word. We use it so freely and it's so common and we do it so often. And one of the things it's best for is to keep you from thinking too heavily about anything. Just find a series that you really like and if you press play, you don't have to think about your immortal soul. You don't have to think about obeying the gospel and you don't have to think about doing all the things that you ought to be doing in service to the Lord anyway. 
So much have these people neglected their own soul that the power of the gospel no longer reaches them. That it, This is the fate of those who ignore their conscience long enough. Repentance is not impossible, but to prompt you to it is. All it takes is time. All it takes is ignorance. And what does such a state of mind get you? Well, let's... Requote some of what Austin just talked about, Hebrews 10, 26, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge. That doesn't mean voluntary sin. Almost all sin is voluntary. To sin willfully is a person who says, I know this is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. Not out of weakness, not out of ignorance, because they want to and they don't care. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment, a fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Paul described this type of person to Timothy as one whose conscience is seared with a hot iron. And most regrettably, as we've already mentioned, this was a choice. And it continues to be a choice for those who choose to remain in this position. They have simply chosen to account the Lord and His salvation as a common thing. Continuing on, how much worse punishment do you suppose will, be, will, he, will he be thought worthy as who, uh, who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which He was sacrificed, sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? And he finishes with that punch to the gut, you might say. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. If we haven't used this line now, most of us my age and younger have heard it before where they say, you just wait till your dad gets home. Now you just wait till God gets a hold of you. And how much worse is that? How much worse is that? How much worse is it whenever we look to the skies anticipating the return of Christ with a sense of dread? Are you comfortable with your sin? Because you shouldn't be. Because someday, God is going to bring all things into account. He's not mocked, and He will come for you. So where are you? Where are you in your conscience? Where are you in your sin? We shouldn't seek to hide from God, to hide our righteousness. Our Father openly embraces those who openly live within His will. God said, Christ said, are you, you are the light of the world, a city that sits upon a hill that can't be hid. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. As a Christian, you should be visible, not lurking in the shadows, hiding. You need to be visible, not for your own glory, not for your own sake, but that so, so that somebody through you might believe and obey the gospel, might glorify our Father in heaven. Matthew fourteen, or Matthew five, verse fourteen through sixteen. Righteous lives exhibit the truth of God and the power of salvation. Such people have no reason to hide from God, and instead are shining examples of who He is. In John the third chapter, verse 19, he says, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. It's going to sound like I'm trivializing this. I'm not. I think it's an unfortunate sign of our culture. How many of you use Google as an operating service? How many of you use Google Chrome? How many of you have gone up to that little section in the top right is it the right corner of your browser that says, Open an incognito tab. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with an incognito tab, I don't suppose, but I think it's certainly telling that one exists in the first place. For those of you unfamiliar with such a thing, good for you. I had to become familiar with it because I taught high school, full of high school kids who all had their own laptop, so we had to become familiar with the ins and outs of how these people think. And I still don't understand it completely. All I know is that this was created for the purpose that as soon as you exited out, whatever it was you were doing is no longer visible to anyone. I'm sure somebody could recover it. The point is, though, this was designed so that whatever your, activ your online activities are, they cannot be viewed by somebody else in the future. So what kind of world is it where we live that that's considered a good thing. Our lives, lived in the open, are a testament to godliness. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the, tr uh, does the truth comes to the light, and his deeds are clearly seen that they may have been done in God. John 3, verses 19 through 21. Uniquely about those who hide, they are most often those who once believed and have chosen not to return. Paul writes to the Ephesians acknowledging what they were, what we all were, unbelievers at one point, and the choice is always there to return, but continued disobedience to the gospel offer, or obedience rather to the gospel offers something greater. For you were once in darkness, Ephesians 5 and verse 8. But now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and faith. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship. No fellowship. Have no fellowship. Have no fellowship. That means have no fellowship. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Was that unclear? But rather expose them. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Ephesians 5 and verse 11. It's, it's weird. That's in the Bible. Turns out it is in the Bible. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. That means don't dabble. That means don't dance on the fence. That means not just while we're in college. Not just while we're with this crowd. Not just while I'm dating this person. Not just to make my marriage work. Not just that... No. For it is shameful to even speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. All things will be exposed eventually. So what will your personal history say when all things are revealed? Where are you? What are you? What's your relationship with God like? Did you spend your life hiding? ranging about through the darkness, trying to enjoy every bit of this physical life because deep down you know that someday you will be brought to account. That's a thing I don't think most worldly people or at least most Christians turned worldly people realize. This life is the best you get. When this life is over, it's done. So you better have a good time here. You better have a really good time here. And you better not have any conscience either because this is all you get. Come to the light. Live openly and unashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of salvation unto everyone who believes. So step out of the darkness and into the light of Christ. It's time.
You're not going to do any good by hiding. You'll be discovered. You will be brought to account. So let's make it easy on ourselves. Let's embrace the salvation brought forth by the death, burial, and resurrection of God. And let's live as people who know that we can never repay the debt that was owed, but we also know that it has been paid and that we are free and clear. Just be obedient to God. Obey the gospel if you haven't. Restore yourself to Him if you haven't. And make the opportunity to do it now. Please come while we stand and sing.